Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. When we are back into our uh, series on human identity, the, can we say it together? The, yeah, where we're exploring what it means to be human. It's crucial that we, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you believe certain things are true about Jesus and it's important that we follow him, we're reminded of how crucial it is that we guard, that we protect, that we keep the pattern of sound teaching that we learned and have had passed on to us by the apostles and through the scriptures, that we guard the deposit that's been entrusted to us and guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Those, that's the words of Paul in, in his letter to Timothy. But it really connects to what we've been exploring. We were taking these six special weeks to look specifically at what it means to be a human being. If you've been around Erickson Covenant at all, you know that my strong preference is to teach through books of the Bible. And so we are in the middle of like a multi-year series in Luke. You know that, right? <laughs> and we're coming back to it. Uh, but it's important at times to sort of press pause and address certain things. And I mean, we do that at different times in the summer. We looked at the Psalms and in Advent, we had some different stuff. But that's my preference. But we, we are taking these six weeks to specifically look at what does it mean to be a human being according to the scriptures and as revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, there's no greater question facing us today than the question, what is a human being? From artificial intelligence to gender identity to earth care to economics and across the board. How we answer this question, or maybe more importantly, how we live out the answer to this question, will determine everything else in life. Human identity is truth worth protecting, guarding against false ideas that will deform us. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, uh, we believe that God's word, God's holy scriptures has real authority in our lives, that we take our cues from that and how we live and how we think, or the way we put it here at the Evangelical Covenant Church is that we believe that the holy scriptures, Old and New Testament, are the only perfect rule of faith, doctrine, and conduct. In other words, we look to the Bible to give us wisdom and insight on who we are as human beings and what it means to be in relationship with the God who made us. And that allows us to critique cultural ideas that run counter to this teaching, to this truth. Well, let's recap from uh, last week. Does anyone remember some of the highlights? Anyone? Other than who, 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 other than that? (laughs) Human beings are created in the image of God. That is, we are reflected identities. And that was the summary of last week. But do you remember the four implications of that that we explored together? The implications that were created in the image of God. Number one, we have incredible dignity. 
This is incredible to think that God created us in his image. We're not just higher form animals or, you know, meat bags running around with a little spark in us. We're created in the image of God. Incredible dignity to human beings. We also saw how this is uh, gives us immense responsibility because God, we'll explore this further uh, as we get into the series, but God created human beings for a purpose, to rule over creation, to extend his care and his goodness in a stewarding kind of way. So there's immense responsibility, incredible dignity, immense responsibility, but that we acknowledge because of human sin and brokenness and look at history and look at our own lives, that we're faced with an impossible dilemma. We've been given responsibility for a, a world that we've messed up and we don't seem to be able to do anything to fix it. In fact, it seems like everything we try and do just makes it worse. Or the good things we do don't last. And we're faced with this impossible dilemma for being responsible to fix something that we seem unable to fix. What do we do about that? And that points us to the fourth reality, which is the incarnation restoration that comes in Jesus. It points us forward to the need for a human being to make things right, but a human being who is already right. Jesus comes as that incarnational restoration. And it's through Jesus that essentially not only we become human again, but the world is set right again under him. Well, these are just some of the implications. They'll resurface again and again, but I remind you of them. The foundational point of last week was that humans have reflected identities. That is that human images of God Our identity comes from God, not from ourselves. We are not the source of our own identity. We cannot understand what it means to be human apart from the God who made us in his image. And we can't live fully as humans outside of that relationship and the other relationships we'll talk about today. That's kind of square one for us. But now we go further to ask, well... Okay, we're reflected identities, but who is it exactly, or what is it exactly that we are reflecting? In other words, who is this God, and, and, and how are we made, in what way are we made in his image? How many of you looked in the mirror before you came here today? I guess you folks online. Did you look in the mirror? Should you have? Uh, anyone here? Everyone, did everyone look in the mirror today? Pretty much everyone. Uh, We won't call out those of you who didn't. But why did you do that? Why why did you look in the mirror? I didn't cut myself shaving. No, he didn't cut himself shaving. There is, love for yourself is important at that moment, Peter. We probably glanced in the mirror somewhere along the way to kind of see what was up today. Who was up today? And, uh, you know, the state of things, maybe a few things that need to be corrected so that you could, you know, be at least somewhat more presentable for the day. We use mirrors to help us see who we are. They reflect that back to us. In the case of human identity, there's kind of a metaphor there we can use, how we function metaphorically as mirrors in that sense, but angled in such a way that we reflect who God is to the world and the world's response back to God. We're going to explore that further as we get into the series. But in a sense, we can say, I know the metaphor is a little strange, but you look into the mirror that is you, 
don't know if you need a hall of mirrors or what, but you, you look into the mirror that is us, and you look around at other human images of God who reflect his character, we begin to see something of the God who made us, and that's how God intended it. So in what way are we most reflective of God? What's at the center, the core of the human, the core of God that would somehow be reflective? Down through history, people have tried to answer that question in a variety of ways. They usually focused on the fact that we think or the fact that we create or the fact that we have language or agency, free, free will, choice. Um, and all of that's true, of course, of what it means to be human, but they've never quite hit the center and people were dissatisfied with that answer. And of course, God is infinitely complex beyond our imagination and our understanding. So it makes sense, right, that we'd struggle to answer this question. But just because God is infinite doesn't mean he's obscure. God chose to reveal himself truly through the scriptures and fully through Jesus the Messiah. So while he absolutely is bigger and greater and more mind-blowing and more complex and truly infinite and beyond us, God is also knowable and available by his choice to us. So what's the answer? What's the core truth about who God is and who we are? Here it is. The God who made us in his image is a God who is relational at his very essence. Relationality is the core truth of who God is and who we are. God is divine relationality, and he created relational images of his relational self. In the first creation story of Genesis 1, we hear something of God that sparks our relational recognition. The God who creates the humans isn't alone. He's not a solitary, lonely God, whiling away millennia, who finally one day says, I am so freaking bored. I need someone to talk to. And so, he made you. And you better be a good conversation partner. <laughs> no, that's not what's going on here. Genesis 1.26, we read, Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And then God proceeds to make humans as a, as a, as a them, an image of himself that's lo and behold, also plural in expression. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Who is the us who created us? Uh, some would say that hearing Trinitarian echoes in Genesis 1 here would be overplaying our Christian hand. Most biblical scholars would say that the us here speaks of, yes, some kind of plurality. God may have been speaking to his heavenly court or maybe even to angelic beings. And a plurality does not say Trinity. And fair enough, fair enough. But it is important to see that the us of Genesis 1 is making creatures designed to image or to reflect his own being. A being that is an us, which then makes beings that are also an us, male and female. So we can with confidence say that there's something relational going on. Can we do that? That the one and only God is in some way more than one. 
in human beings, definitely more than one. In Genesis 2, uh, it presents a very different creation story. And we'll, we'll be getting into that in more detail. It fleshes out the truth of who we are. And we're introduced to this first human being who is very sad because he's very alone. And we're told by God himself that this is not a good situation. Being alone, not good. Outside of human shared relationships, not good. And so God quickly remedies this solitary sadness through the creation of a male-female relationship. It's the same point from a different angle. Human beings are relational beings. And it's only within relationships that they will be fully human. And what's more, God creates humans that he wants to have a real relationship with, as we're going to see in Genesis 3 when the relationship's tested. But is that all that we see in the Bible as we explore it together? No, we're just getting going in that, in fact. The marvelous, mysterious story of Scripture unfolds this divine human relationality into the story of how God starts picking up the pieces after human beings reject their relationship with their Creator. And how God begins to restore that relationship through covenants that He makes with creation, certainly, but really with people, and particularly with Abraham and his family, the people of Israel. And the God who continues to reveal himself every step of the Old Testament is a God we see who relates, who engages, who seeks and finds, who cares and interacts and listens and responds, a God who forgives and promises, but also punishes, who calls and judges and saves. This very relational God is a God who's jealous for his people's love, who's protective of their integrity, and he's exasperated by their hard-hearted resistance to him and his relational ways. The Old Testament really is a story of this relational God who enters into the story of his chosen people. He wants to be with them. He even pitches a tent right in the center so he can lead them and, and, and live among them right there with people. Often God gets a bad rap in the Old Testament. I was telling uh, Vicky and Olin right before the service that one of the key heresies in the early church was actually people that looked and said, boy, the God of the Old Testament must be a different guy than Jesus. So let's ditch the Old Testament. And so a guy named Marcion came along and uh, he threw everything out that had any Old Testament flavor. So, of course, the whole Old Testament, but actually most of the new too. And uh, he took a, a sharp knife to the Gospel of Luke and um, cut out every reference to anything Jewish or anything promised. It would make a shorter series for us when we're preaching through it, mind you, but there was something wrong with that. Um, and uh, basically, he only kept the parts he liked because they were struggling to, to figure out how is it? That's not the true story. That's people who haven't really soaked in the whole story on its own terms. And they accuse God of being sort of a rageaholic, a bit harsh, a bit uncaring. And I want to acknowledge there's some hair-raising stuff back there. A lot of fun. Might keep you awake at night. It's there for us to explore I won't deny that. But if you want to really listen to the story, what you discover over and over and over again, it cannot be missed, 
is that this is a God who's intensely interested, not only in a covenant relationship with his people, but that they have a responsive, real relationship with him. That they exist in loving relationship with each other and with others. Foreigners and the poor, people among them. That they have a responsible relationship with the land that he gave them. And that they even have a proper relationship within themselves. Relationships really matter to this God who insists on being in relationship with his people. It's all an extension of who he is. And then, just to keep going with the story for a moment, as though each step was going somewhere specific, the Old Testament prophets start to promise, you know, God is actually going to come to be among his people in a way that would be utterly new and unique. It's some sort, and they couldn't quite get it, but some sort of suffering yet victorious messianic king who is God himself. And when Jesus bursts on the scene, all of that old covenant backstory finally makes sense as God comes in the flesh to be with his people. And through the incarnation of Jesus and his baptism and his ministry and his teaching and his death and his resurrection, and then his ascension to the right hand of the Father, this intensely relational God, this us who created us, came to be with, say it with me, us. And then sent the Holy Spirit to live in all of us. There's a whole lot of us going on. Because this is who the people of God are that he made in relationship with himself. It turns out the us of Genesis 1 did eventually pull back the curtain and step out as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. You with me so far? It's vital that we get this, actually. And I know for some of you are thinking, woo, I did not... You know, you're, you're wishing I hadn't gone away to, you know, sit at Regent College in a seminary class for the week, I know. And then wrote this on the way home while I was driving. <laughs> Not quite. I wrote it throughout the week. Um, and last night. <laughs> and early this morning. Okay. Um, but it's vital that we get this because how we understand who we are as images of God, uh, how we have to understand that if we don't know who it is that God has revealed himself to be. The God who's made us in his image reveals himself through the whole scope and story of scripture as a divine community of loving relationships, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but three persons who are in this perfect relationship. We discover that God is love, which we like to hear, but we realize God is not love simply because God feels loving toward us. He does, we're thankful But it's not as though God could not have been love if he hadn't created someone to love in the first place. God is love at his very essence because from all eternity, this one God in three persons loved each other perfectly, selflessly, beautifully. They have done so for all eternity. They will continue to do so for all eternity. God is love because that is his essential nature. And it's this God, this us, this perfect Trinitarian community who then created human beings to reflect him in their relationality, which is why we can't talk about being human outside of relationships. We grow up in relationships. We're formed within a matrix of relationships. We're helped and we're hurt. We're formed and we're deformed within the context of relationships from start to 
finish, everything that we are is relational. God created us, of course, to be formed and to flourish in four kinds of relationships. I've talked about this before. Allow me to rattle them off. We're, of course, formed for and, and meant to flourish in a relationship with God himself. To have a real, vibrant relationship with the creator of the universe who made you in his image uniquely yourself. And somehow, through the gifts he's given you and the relationships he's put you in and the way he's made you to be, you uniquely and beautifully reflect the God that made you. And he wants to be in relationship with you. And we should all just be like blown away by that. Just so amazed. And marvel at the fact that God wants you. He doesn't need you. And be thankful for that too. You don't want a God who needs you. But a God who wants you? That's great. So that's the first primary relationship, of course. God made a people for himself. But he also made us to be in relationship with other people. I mean, that's clear in the Genesis 2 story. I mean, God was there, you know, when he looked at sad Adam and said, whoa, this guy needs somebody. Not good to be alone, right? So God created us not only for a relationship with him, but to live within this beautiful network of human relationships, of family, of friendships, of communities, of ethnicities, of places and, and times. And those relationships with other people, which are, of course, the, the trouble we all have, but also the beautiful we experience, uh, that's so central to who we are. And exploring that, of course, is a big part of life. But also, we were created to be in relationship with the rest of God's creation. We were created to be in relationship with, with the, the places we live and the, the birds and the, and, and the fish. We were created to be in relationship with God's very created order. He actually gave us responsibility for it. And so that's a big piece of why we were created. And then we were created to have a whole relationship internally. That within our own selves as integrated, embodied persons... We're meant to be whole inside, not shattered and not alienated. And it's in those four relationships that God formed us in which we are to flourish. And of course, also where we find a lot of the hurt and pain. But we can't be outside those four relationships. That makes us fully human. That's what it means. You cut one of those off or you denigrate one of those. You forget about one of those. And we are in some way less than we could be. And we're not flourishing the way that God intended No, the truth of who we are, because God made us this way, is not a simple thing. We understand that. There's a lot of complexity. As dynamic social beings, we're formed within these relationships, of course, but human sin, human folly, have a way of actually taking those very relationships in which we were meant to flourish and have a deforming effect on us. That's hinted in Genesis 3. And uh, we may have time to read that story in a, in a future um, uh, week related to this series. But, but for, for now, just in summary, Genesis 3, the next story after Genesis 2, we see humans rejecting God. And as a result, all of these relationships are now fractured and shattered. They immediately become ashamed of themselves, ashamed of their bodies. Their relationship with themselves is broken. They immediately start hiding from God. Their relationship with God is now strained and out of order. They immediately begin blaming each other for what happened, showing that their relationship with each other has now experienced a brokenness. 
And they're at odds with the creation itself. They're at odds with their own bodies. They're at odds with the land. They're at odds with the call that God had placed on them to be responsible for it. And the relationality of human beings, though it is still true of us, it now operates under a cloud. And we do it with struggle. It's as though, yes, we definitely do still reflect God's relationality, but now it's as though someone took a hammer to the glass. There's a shattering, a fracturing that has gone on. So we do still truly reflect God's image, but now in a refracted, often distorted way. Much of our spiritual formation as followers of Jesus, much of our life in Christ is actually about being restored to the image of God that we were designed to be and is now captured for us in Jesus. In Christ, we who have placed our faith in him uh, are told that we become new creations. There's a sense in which the glass has been restored, but it's a dynamic process. Because the Holy Spirit then moves into us, representing all the us, and helps us begin to identify ways that we've been deformed in the relationships, or within the relationships, or maybe we've done some of the deforming. And we can think of all the ways that we've experienced hurt in our lives from friends, from fathers, mothers, brothers, family, Abusers, enemies, neighbors, partners. And as the Holy Spirit leads us to identify those ways we've been deformed or distorted, he does that so that we might begin to be healed and transformed by the Holy Spirit who is reforming us now in the image of Christ who we are told is the perfect image of God. There's a dynamic process of healing and restoration that's going on. Through Jesus Christ, we're being led back bit by bit into this relationship with the God who created us and whose whose image we are. As we get more in connection with the image, or the, the one that we are meant to image, of course, we become more in tune, more reflective, more connected. There's a restoration that immediately happens because we were created in the image of this God that we're now coming to know better, to worship more to yield ourselves to. Through this transforming uh, work of God, we're able to begin to re-engage with the world around us in a fresh way. We're able to now begin to identify more how our culture or our family or our tradition has maybe missed or misappropriated these relationships that God made. And then more deeply than ever, I believe, we've come to recognize the beauty of being human the wonder of being connected to God, the the deep complexity and creativity of being a human in creation, the wonder of becoming more whole as embodied people. Jesus comes to reveal not only God to us, but ourselves to us too. Jesus comes and through his incarnation restores us back to who we truly are as humans. It's a process, of course, but that is what he's doing. He's the perfect human who then did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves and is in the very act of ruling and reigning and restoring and we come under him and begin to experience all of that in grace without pressure because the right thing's already been done. The offering's already been made. The, the, the restoration has been established and we're able to come under Jesus who is perfect and let the spirit begin to restore us into that full humanity. Okay, let me pause.
Are you with me? Was that a mouthful? Do you have any questions? Anything you want to throw out before I go on? I have more. Of course. Do you have any questions? Just clar- maybe clarification questions at this point. Good, let's move. So, summarizing the truth so far, God created human beings to reflect his relational being. So that who we are as images of God is relational. Why does this matter? Some of you, I'm sure, have sat here this morning and thought, how is this significant? You know, how does this change my life? Let's talk about that. False ideas about what it means to be a human being. Those false ideas can deny or distort who we truly are. They can deform and dehumanize as a result. We need to know the truth of who we are so that we can effectively combat the lies that we hear, that we see, that we experience. Some of those lies are out there, but some of those lies have been told to us. And they've deformed us as a result. And as we proceed through this series, we'll be able to get more clear, maybe more explicit. We'll be able to begin to put our fingers on things that we've believed or thought or just kind of heard in the air. About, we'll begin to be more explicit on how the truth of who we are as God's images challenges many of the false ideas about being human. I hope you're already beginning to make some of those connections yourself. I've been laying the foundation for these two weeks. As we proceed, we will get more clear. But let me tease out a few things just for you today. Many of the false ideas and ideologies today counter the basic truth that humans are created in the image of God and, and, and the truth that we're designed to reflect his relationality in right relationships. The more trained we are in the truth of who we are as humans, the more quickly we'll identify, oh, that's a lie. Oh, that's off. Another thing we learned this week, uh, we're reminded of this week, is that the best heresies have a bunch of truth in it, but then just enough wrong to catch you, right? They're just subtly off. It's like, is this still safe to eat? You know, no. <laughs> and, and so there, there, there's sometimes truth and it's mixed with lies, but the better we know the truth of who we are as humans, the more quickly we'll identify when a lie is being told. The truth really will set us free and will set others free too. So for example, uh, you will hear all over the place, how being a human being is all, be, is, a, is, is all about being true to yourself. But without any understanding of what it means to be a human being, without actually knowing how we were created to reflect God's relational goodness to the world, what does it mean to be true to yourself? Who is yourself? Like, who is that? that you should be true to. And, and how might uh, following that message actually lead you away from being truly human? I once heard a man say that to be true to himself, he had to leave his marriage and his kids behind. I ask you, was that rooted in the truth of who he was? Or was that based on a lie? Uh, you'll hear people express the idea that humans really are only highly sophisticated animals. 
that in some way we're enslaved to our passions and desires. We need to express those drives and passions in, 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 in order to be healthy. And of course, thank God for, or thank somebody for culture, they would say, that keeps us sort of, you know, without doing too much harm to each other. But, but, but really, um, we need to express those desires and passions in order to be healthy, they would say, rather than understanding how those very passions and desires that we all have have actually been deformed. They've been deformed by us. They've been deformed within us. They've been deformed within the families that we've inherited and the cultures that we've been part of. And they actually need to be reformed by Jesus. No easy task, but still, they need to be reformed by Jesus so that we can uh, be more aligned to who we actually are created to be, God's design for us. Much of the continued hurt in the world would actually shift if human beings began to submit their misplaced desires and their distorted passions to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit while looking at Jesus and becoming more human as a result. Uh, You will hear friends, perhaps family, say that how you choose to die is entirely up to you. You are your own boss. Ending your life on your own terms Perhaps through medically assisted death, for example, is an expression of human dignity rather than a denigration of it. An act of human bravery rather than an act of human overreach, which God never allowed us to. And it's actually robbing us as families and as society of the gift of your dying days. We need you to die well in front of us, friends. We need to be holding your hand while you die. Not earlier than you should. How we understand living as humans will directly impact how we understand dying as humans as well. Our culture, of course, is currently very keen to convince us that the human body, not that important, really, you can do with it as you like. Gender is fluid. How you feel must overrule how you've been made. We hear that all the time. Could it be that understanding how God created us in his image as embodied people might challenge this body-destroying, body-denying idea? Could we actually prevent people from ruining their beautiful embodied selves with the profound truth of who they really are? advancing artificial intelligence is already pushing the boundaries of what it means to be human within certain circles. Being human is being reduced now, dumbed down as it were, to simply being highly functioning intelligence machines. That's how the human is defined. So much so that now the difference between a human being and artificial intelligence is really only one of degree, not kind. Trans uh, humanists, they're called, uh, are already saying that the next logical step in human evolution is actually digital. I'm not making this stuff up. This is real. It's digital, leaving our bodies behind so that we can become next level humans who actually could live forever in the cloud. As long as no one unplugs it. Uh, might the truth of who we are as embodied images of the divine God be a vital part of that artificial intelligence conversation. How we answer the question, what does it mean to be human has sweeping effects. And friends, wherever you're at on the faith spectrum, please, 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 let's do some hard work in thinking about what it means. And if you are a follower of Jesus, 
If you are a person who's willing to take the scriptures seriously and say, this is key to how we understand that, let's do the hard work of discovering what it means to be created in the image of God. Well, let's wrap up with some applications. The first one, I think, I want to keep reminding of this. As we get into this, and I know it might be kind of heady sometimes, let's just remember, you've got to step back and marvel on this stuff. This is like, wow, you were created in the image of God. I know last week when I hammered kind of hard on the fact that your identity is, don't we love the word derivative? Who wants to be derivative? I don't. Who wants to be secondary? But when you begin to understand that we're derivative of the God of the universe, the infinite, perfect, all-wise, holy, immortal God who has eternally existed, who made everything, who knows you down to your tiniest skin cell that you lost last week. He created you in his image. You want to be derivative of that God. That's the God you reflect. And so the first stance, the first application is we got to walk around with our mouths hanging a little further open. We got to get some wow factor going on. You got to look at each other. We're at coffee time today and just say, wow, when you look at each other. Look at that mic. Created in the image of God, man. Woo! Let me give a hand for Mike. We've got to get the marvel back. Uh, the fact that we're creating the image of God is absolutely mind-blowing. It changes our lives. It, it draws us to worship, but also to move and to, 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 to act and to create and begin to express and, and even pursue the healing that we need because, wow, we're loved, we're special, we're known, we're wanted. You're beautiful people, you. Yeah. Marvel. The second is, of course, there's an application here to consider. I do invite you to take these four relationships in which we've all been formed in some way, we've all been deformed in some way, we're all, I hope, being transformed in some way, and consider of the four relationships God, others, creation, and ourselves of those four relationships, which one's kind of like the clearest to you? Which one really fills you up? Think that. Ah, lovely. I'm on it. Which one is that? Consider that. Which one needs some tweaking? Like, yeah, you mostly got it, but nah, maybe you, uh, let's, 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 let's drill down on that a little more. Which one is that? Uh, example, maybe some of you would say, you know, I've, I've been following Jesus for a long time. I think I have a good, healthy, growing relationship with God, but I've realized that um, I need to explore some of those deeper hurts that I've experienced, some of that uh, emotional maturity, some of the hurt relationships I have with others because I've realized that I can't have a flourishing relationship with God if I have a defunct relationship with my family, for example. There's got to be some maturing within so that I can explore. So maybe there's some tweaking, some growth. Which relationship of those seems the weakest to you? Or maybe it's like not even on the charts. Like it's not even there. Haven't even thought about that, at least in terms of what it means to be a human being, what it means to reflect God's image. Um, I've told some of you before, one of the motivations for us moving to Creston was that we realized as we evaluated our lives and our parenting, raising our boys, was um, that 
while uh, we were pursuing a relationship with, with God that was healthy and growing and, and that we were doing our best to pursue a relationship with each other and others, and, and uh, I think we were growing in wholeness inside, the whole idea of like, we have a responsibility for creation. We should be connected to God's world. We should somehow figure out what it means to be a human being in the world God created, non-existent. And we realized that was a missing area of our discipleship of Jesus, but quite frankly, what it means to be a human being. And, and hey, what better valley to move to to explore that little piece of wonder than Creston? Don't you feel bad for everyone else that just doesn't get that? Anyway, I'm not suggesting that that can't be figured out in every other location in the world, but wow, it helped move into Creston. But that was an exploration for us of a relationship that we felt weak or non-existent. And then maybe you want to ask, what relationship is it in which you've experienced the most deformation, the most hurt? For many of us, we're just going to name it as family. It's family. Yeah. There's a family member. There's a dynamic ongoing or in the past that has really, really hurt us. And so there's an invitation here. The Holy Spirit wants to heal and restore us in those places where you've been most hurt. And so what might the next step for you be in that? Because God wants you to flourish. Acknowledging the ways we've been hurt, he wants us to flourish in all of our relationality because the more we flourish in our relationality, the more we reflect him to the world, the more we experience his goodness in our lives. You might want to talk to a spiritual friend about that. And then the third, of course, is fairly obvious. So the first one is marvel. The second one is consider. And the third is to discern. I invite you in the next week, before we come back next week, to explore uh, in more detail, particularly what it means to be embodied people, embodied souls. Um, that'll be next week. Um, I want you to tune into what you're hearing, what you're seeing. This week's challenge, if I can put it this way, is to actually listen up. Things you hear in the news, uh, things you hear from friends, or maybe you read from school, or maybe in a book or an article. Ask yourself, when, when you can, what are people saying about what it means to be a human being? Like, what's, what's under this? Because they don't, you know, people don't usually preface it with that statement. Just going to let you all know what I think about being a human being. They don't say that. You got to ask it. You got to say, ooh, what, what, what's this indicating here? Uh, this, they're, they're saying something about human life. They're saying something about human relationships. They're saying something about maybe, it's a, maybe it is a hot topic or maybe it's just a statement. Ask yourself, what's being said here about what it means to be human? Like, what's the truth they believe? What's the lie they believe? What's underneath that? And then, importantly, as we discern together, how does that match up to what God says about who we are? How does that match up? to God himself who created us in his image. As we continue to discern, we'll be able to sift and clarify and, and, and begin to uh, even acknowledge and see things that we maybe hadn't seen before. And so I invite you to commit to growing in your understanding of what it means to be human. Those of us who are still exploring faith, those of us who, are, who do follow Jesus, I do understand that you may not agree with everything that I end up saying. I respect that. But that doesn't relieve you of the challenge of doing the hard work, does it? Let's discern together. Let's dig in. Let's move forward. As we close, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the image of the invisible God. You are the rightful king over all creation. You are the perfect, perfect person. (laughs) And we marvel at you today. And that by your Holy Spirit, 
you are inviting us to be transformed, to look more like you, which actually means looking more like us, more human as your Father intended. So we give you praise and glory and ask that today and in the week that follows, you would help us, inspire us to marvel at who you've made us to be as we marvel at you. But also, in that context, begin to discern and reflect, to consider, to grow. In our understanding of what it means to be human, in a world that is very dehumanizing. So would you give us courage? Would you give us clarity? Fill us with your love and grace. May we not approach any of these things with a harshness, with an anger, but with gentleness, with wonder, and with grace. We thank you for your kindness to us. And would you lead us now? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.